Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events. I feel like I've known you my whole entire life, and I'm just thrilled to be with you today. I couldn't agree more. To, I, I had been telling my husband that after I talked to you the last time we spoke, I felt like I just felt a really deep, deep knowing of, of uh-huh. you. <laughs> you felt very familiar uh-huh. to me. You just gave me the goosebumps here, the chills. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. This episode is part two of Unraveling the Survival Knot with Heidi Schleifer. If you haven't already listened to part one, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to these two episodes in order. Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it. And we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edge of what it means to connect. Otherwise, nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong. I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, and heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work of reconnecting the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out. That's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. You can learn more about my Connectfulness Counseling practice and our collective for therapists in private practice at connectfulness.com. This episode is brought to you by Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes is a simple, secure EHR platform for therapists in private practice. It keeps you organized and creates a container for all the details that run your practice so that you can focus on what really matters. Use the promo code CONNECTFULNESS and get two months free when you sign up at therapynotes.com. I'm joined today by psychotherapist Haiti Schleifer. Haiti is an internationally renowned relationship builder and a motivational speaker. She guides, counsels, and teaches couples, partners, business associates, therapists, and families about relational maturity through what she calls the art of connection teaching them how to turn their relationship into a living laboratory for the development of relational intelligence. Haiti is the founder of the Encounter-Centered Couples Transformation Approach, otherwise ECCT. ECCT lies at the intersection of philosophy, clinical theory, organizational methodology, and the new frontier of relational neurobiology and memory reconsolidation. Katie, thank you so much for joining us again to dive deeper into Unraveling the Survival Knot. My pleasure, Rebecca. I'm so glad to be with you today. Oh, I'm grateful to be here with you as well. And 
You know, I think so much of our conversation, of our last conversation, really begins to set the stage for the sacred space that a couple is creating between them. And so much of your work leads up to this point of really unraveling that survival knot. So I'm wondering if maybe a good place for us to begin would be coming back to the bridge and to the roles of the host and the visitor and just setting a stage for that again of what are we asking couples to to enter into in this space? Yeah, wow. So, you know, we are interestingly uh, speaking to each other on a very special day because it's the day after the two days of Rosh Hashanah in which uh, Yumi and I spent a very big part of the day in synagogue. And I have a memory that I want to share with you to really set the stage of the hosting and the visiting that we teach couples. Please. Uh, In Israel, Yumi and I have done many, many, many workshops. And interestingly, we did them in a beautiful kibbutz on the Sea of Galilee. So the Sea of Galilee is such a special symbolic place of Jesus, you know, walking on water. You know, there's just a sanctity about that place. And when we teach there, we always feel like we get to speak about the sacred space in a very sacred space. Anyway, we had a couples workshop, you know, about 30 couples there, and we teach the bridge and we teach the hosting and the visiting. And after lunch, a man came back to the room and he joined his wife and everybody looked at him. And the reason we looked at him was he was illuminated. We You know, like there are pictures of Moses and they show sort of an illumination behind his head going to heaven. I don't know if you've seen those pictures of Moses. And that man looked like that. It looked like he had light just going up to heaven. And the whole group noticed. And we were looking at him in silence. And finally I said, what What have you done during lunch? You've come back illuminated. And he said to the group, I crossed the bridge to God. He said, when my afternoon prayer, instead of asking God to come to me, I left my world and my worries and my concerns and my troubles and my problems and whatever I like to bring to God, I left it all in my world, and I crossed the bridge to God, and I stepped there, and I said what Moses said, Himeni, I am here. And he said, it's the first time in my life that I understood what I am here really means. It means to be fully present, to leave your world, every neighborhood that often hijacks me and often calls for my attention and wants a response of some kind to leave it all Mm -hmm. and to walk that bridge and to step fully into the present moment, the holy now, and say, Hineli, I am here. 
And the group just fell into this deep, beautiful silence. Everyone could actually probably visualize in their own way what it was like to suddenly step and say, I am here. And the silence took whatever time it took. And then one person broke it by just saying, wow, here there are something. I don't remember. I wish somebody had videotaped those moments because it was a group that understood visiting in a whole different way. The, the art of visiting, of being in the holy now with your partner, with the godly in your partner, actually, with the highest, with the essence of your partner. See them fully and be fully present. That's visiting. And our whole group just entered into the deep understanding of the art of visiting. Now, the art of hosting is to to be willing then to open up to the core of yourself and be transparent and be truthful and authentic and genuine and sincere, all these lovely qualities that we are capable of, and that's the art of hosting. Mm -hmm. And so when a couple really understands the art of visiting, the art of hosting, because they've done a few visits and they've gone well. And you can see the muscle of presence growing and the muscles, the muscle of openness growing. That's when I introduce the unraveling of the survival knot. I want to pause you there, if that's okay. Because I think yeah. what you're talking about here in terms of the muscle of the presence and the muscle of that vulnerability, I think that those are really central and really important pieces that need to be exercised, that need to be developed um, before we go deeper, which is what we talked about a lot in our last um, interview together and, and why we're doing the second one. So for our listeners, if you haven't already listened to part one, go back and listen to that before you dive in with us further here, because that's going to be important information. <laughs> right, right. It's the preparation. Yeah. Or, and you know, it's so interesting that we talk today because in the 10 days of awe between the holiday of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, it is the preparation really for Yom Kippur in which you unravel your survival knot with God. You know, you say, you know, I've been surviving this way and that way and this way and that way and what I want is your assistance in unraveling that knot so I can be in my essence. And so this year, I can welcome a much larger part of who I truly am in my family, in my coupleship, in the world. And so it's interesting, we're doing this today where I'm so aware of that process, you know? Yes. And I'm, I'm thinking about this position of, of being a host and of being a visitor. It's one of, of really opening ourselves to each other's deepest truths, to our own deepest truths on a le level right. where maybe we haven't even exposed ourselves to that in the past. Exactly. Exactly. 
So the first thing I want to say to you, Rebecca, is that I now have created some roadmaps. So I have a roadmap for the unraveling of the survival knot. I have a roadmap to what I call the amends journey where deep forgiveness needs to be expressed to each other. So after an affair, let's say. But there are other ways that people want to enter deep truth and reconciliation, like in South Africa, you know, truth and reconciliation, because couples know they've hurt each other deeply. So I have a roadmap there. And as you now know, I have a big roadmap to the work I do with couples, period. I find that the roadmap helps. Having the steps before you start the journey, because you're going to enter tricky territory. And if you know the map, it allows you to know you're going to be successful. It's a GPS, you know? I give people the GPS. And, uh, and even the time we will arrive, it takes about three hours per person. You know, so like in the GPS, it tells you approximately when you're going to arrive at your destination. I even tell couples, here is the GPS and here is the approximate arrival time. And so that makes the journey so much more possible, deeper, more relaxed, really, more at ease because we know the roadmap. And I'm going to give you the roadmap now. Please do. Okay. So I have this big book that I write everything in when I'm with a couple. And on that, in that a new page, I write the roadmap. And I say that the first part that we're going to take, do, and that's going to be the couple, is that we're going to name the neighborhood, the toughest neighborhood of their relationship. And so I do a little square a little rectangle actually, and in it I put name. And I say to the couple, you know, I'm going to ask you to name the toughest, worst, most embarrassing, awful, terrible neighborhood of your relationship to each other, but it's going to have one name, neighborhood of rejection, neighborhood of abandonment, neighborhood of not good enough, neighborhood of whatever it is, it's going to have one word, or like not good enough, you know, one expression. And so the challenge here for you guys is going to be to take something that has been there for years and has been awfully difficult and give it one name. Mm. And you see, this process in itself is liberating because you're taking a complex problem, let's say, but you're naming it one name, uh, let's say the neighborhood of mistrust, the neighborhood of betrayal, the neighborhood. Do you see the importance of suddenly taking something that has a, a thousand layers and giving it one name? And I say to them, we're going to start there. You know, you're going to give it one name. And then when we have the two names, I'm going to say to you, the next part of the map is a choice. Where shall we go first? Shall we go first to the neighborhood of abandonment? 
or the neighborhood of rejection? Which one shall we go first to? And when I give that choice, I say it with the same neutrality I just gave to you. You know, shall we go first to the neighborhood of rejection or the neighborhood of abandonment? Because, you know, even in my voice, naming it just what it is, there is something liberating because it's been the toughest neighborhood, but suddenly it just has one name and you can make a choice. Where would it be more useful to go first? Who should be the first host? Neighborhood of abandonment, neighborhood of rejection. And what's beautiful there is that I have found, and I tell couples that, that couples intuitively know which one will be more useful to unravel first. Because when you unravel that one, the other one already got somewhat unraveled by itself. And so couples have an intuitive sense And it's always right. Of course, it's always right. And I can't know because I haven't lived those neighborhoods. I've got my own in my own relationship with you and me. And by the way, this roadmap comes from the fact that you and I at one point had the courage to go into our toughest neighborhood. And that's when we understood what the roadmap to unraveling that knot really is. Because you know what? Before... I could invite couples to name the worst neighborhoods. You had to do it yourself. I was too afraid to do it because I hadn't done it myself. You know what I mean? It was just too scary. How do you go into the toughest neighborhood? I didn't know. And so it was from Yumi and I actually going there that I knew to do what I'm telling you now. Mm. Thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah. And so once the choice is made, we're going to do a bathroom break because after that, the host is going to be hosting for quite a while. And it's a good idea, even prophylactically, to go and do a bathroom break. And so then when we come back, we know the host and we know the visitor. And the host is going to invite the visitor over. And now we know that that journey over the bridge means just like the man who came back at lunch, it means you bring your essence, who you really are, your depth, your curiosity, your empathy, your compassion, your love. That's what you bring because that's who you are. But you leave your neighborhood over on your side of the bridge and when you show up and you say, Hineni, here I am, that's when the host will start. And when the host speaks, it is in those essential statements, five words or less. Truth. There's a succinctness and here. I, there's there's a the truth has a quality that it doesn't go on and on. It's it's brief. Right. It's direct. It's, It's direct and brief. And what is amazing, I tell the couple, is that you're going to find as a host that if you say four truths, you get to a little ball, and after that little ball, whatever you're going to say is the same. Maybe in red or yellow or orange, but it is the same. And that's why... There are patterns in relationship that we cannot resolve is because we see the same thing over and over again. 
that on international unravel the survival not day, you cannot say the same thing. And the reason, and the, the way I know it's the same thing is I'm going to write, I say to the couple, I'm going to write down everything you say. And when it's the same, I'm either I'm going to say it or you're going to say it. You're going to say, whoa, that's the same thing. So either you host or I, Haiti, will notice it's the same thing. And it happens very quickly. After four or five statements, you say the same thing. It's really amazing. And so then you're yeah, there. You that's, that's the arrival when you realize that, that you said. Oh, no, 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 no. Then no? you are far from there. <laughs> Where you are going to go is to the main square of this neighborhood. Uh-huh. And the main square of this neighborhood is a statement you've never made, not even to yourself that has needed to be spoken from the time you were a little kid because it's life-affirming, liberating, coherent, central. It is what liberates your energy and you've never said it because you haven't been able to, because you haven't had the conditions of safety to say it. And we are far from the main square at this point. At this point, we are just at the realization that we've been saying the same thing forever, and today we can't say the same thing. Mm. So I say to the couple, after that little ball where it's all the same, you're going to say something you've never said before, but you've thought it maybe. You know it at some level. And then you're going to say that. It's very courageous because you've never said it. And when you say that, it's going to be a little bit like popcorn a few more statements you've never said before will show up, but at some level they've been in your consciousness. And you say them, and your partner will reflect the way they've learned. You know, I hear you say from a deep, deep place, I hear you say. And I will write them down, and then you'll get to a little ball, and that little ball is the best little ball because it's the little ball called I don't know. There's Nothing power in new. not knowing. That's it. Exactly. The power of not knowing because nothing new has ever been invented without the inventor being with, having the courage to be in I don't know. Because otherwise, it's an improvement on what already is, but it's not new. I think this is kind of a revolutionary um piece here you know like it's it's disrupting something that has been what it always is and for so many not knowing is a source of anxiety and so yeah. you have already created a framework a roadmap that's yeah. holding holding that anxiety like this doesn't happen outside of the scope of of this kind of exercise it happens within this because that's what's creating the conditions the container right to dive deeper right to dive into I don't know, but this is a different I don't know because it's in connection. You are deeply connected to your partner who's there with their face wide open, their eyes loving, their curiosity expressing itself. They're just holding you with their whole being and you can experience I don't know. And only if you let yourself feel I don't know in connection in connection. That's why all invent- inventors had a partner 
you know, Hewlett Packard, mm-hmm. uh, Bryn, what's the two Google guys, Bryn and I don't know the other one. But anyway, you know, if you look at inventions, they're always in partnership because you cannot go to the I don't know place by yourself. It's too scary. That is so profound. That's so true. It's true. Yeah, we need to be held. And we need that kind you of witness. Need, you need to be held and you need to be witnessed both, actually, right? Yeah. And so I say that little ball is even more important than the previous one where you basically came to, oh, it's the same, same. And so you could say something deeper, truer, more authentic to guide you to the next one, which is I don't know. And when you get to I don't know and you feel the connection, say the first thing that comes to your mind, even if it doesn't feel connected. Because that first thing that comes to your mind is new and different and opens a possibility. And when you say that one, it'll open a few more like this. You might come to another I don't know. You might be in a corridor of I don't know, but I can promise you that you will get suddenly into the main square of your toughest neighborhood where you will say something you've never said that liberates you completely. And I'll give you an example. There was a woman who started with the main, the, the neighborhood of hate. And it started with I hate you. But after four or five statements, it was all the same. And the next piece was, I hate me. You see, oh. after, after it was all, after the sameness, you know, which she couldn't say anymore. She couldn't say anymore the millions of ways she hates him. Then she saw that she, she actually lives in self-hate. And she said a few of those that she had not said before, but had known at a deep level. And she got to the bottom of the self-hate and she got to, I don't know. And then the first image she had was an image of her as a child when she was vibrant, you know? And she went with that image, but I don't have them go into childhood yet. So I said to her, but speak to your partner about that. And she said, Gosh, I don't think I've shown you my vibrancy. I've not shown you the depth of me. And she got to the main square. I am a vibrant being woven in the womb of God. That was her main square. I'm a radiant, that was the word. I'm a radiant being woven in the womb of God. She reconnected with who she truly was before the pattern of self-hate and other hate set in because of, you know, of course, her childhood experience. But at this point, we don't yet go to childhood. That comes next. We just go to truth. I'm a radiant being woven in the womb of God. Now that knowledge that is in her fiber had not been spoken since she was a little kid, you know, when she knew she was a radiant being woven in the womb of God. And 
she just started sobbing, but so did he. Yeah. Because he had been so hurt by her hatred. And suddenly he could see that it was because she got disconnected from her true essence that she could only live in hate. And how hurt he had been. And there was this radiant partner whom he had fallen in love with and fell in love with again right there and then. And we stayed on a bench in the sunshine, in the main square, for as long as was needed. Because she needed to just be able to cry it out and feel it. He had to be able to feel it with her. They sat together on that bench basking in the truth. Mm -hmm. And they sit there for a while, right? Oh, yeah. You talked about how this is like a three-hour process. Yes, indeed. You sit there for a while because the songs are written about this. The Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S, the Psalms are written about this. And we stay there because poems are written about this. And and I asked, I asked them, you know, you have a song, you have a psalm that you know that's about I'm a radiant being woven in the, and so we sing or we dance or something, you know, because this is a pretty amazing, miraculous moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm. Yeah. Yeah. So there we are. So mm. that is actually the first part of the process, main square. And we, I will sometimes take a break there because it's about an hour and a half. Right. An hour and a quarter, an hour and a half, you know? And so we might take a break and write in the notebooks that I talked to you about last time in which I put learning, relearning, surprise, intrigue. We will do again an integration of this particular part of the journey. Yeah. Yes, see, because it needs integration. Because sometimes the learning is about, I don't know. You see, I never, for example, a learning, I've never known that I don't know needs to be felt in connection so that something new can emerge and be revealed. You know, like, there's so much learning just from that piece of the journey. Just from, just from integrating the I don't know. Or integrating the sameness, like the relearning. I knew I was saying the same thing. I just didn't know that I could actually say something deeper to her. You know, like, there's so much learning from this whole thing. Or even from naming the neighborhood or from choosing the one that would be right. most useful. You know, there's just learning. And so I take a break there. And we do a bathroom break again. Because now we're going to do a very big piece. You ready for the next one? I am. But before we go there, I just want to acknowledge these bathroom breaks that you're you're putting into the workshops that you're doing with couples. Because I think yes. that it's it's so important to remind People, especially when they're diving this deep, to take care of themselves in the most basic ways. Yes, yes, indeed. And you know, it reminds me of a lovely story with my mom. When I was a young therapist, I went back to Israel to give a lecture. 
And it was a very special time. And my parents came, my mom and dad, and they sat in the first row. And it was a big, big honor for me to come back to my teachers and to uh, to talk about what I was developing. You know, it was the beginning of the development of what you're getting now, which is like the, you know, the crowning of mm-hmm. it all. But when I was done with my lecture, people came to surround me and thank you so much and what an honor. And my mother was standing there and she stopped everybody and she said, I am so sorry, but I am taking Haiti because Haiti has to make (laughs) pee-pee. She took care of you. (laughs) And you know, here I was surrounded by all these important people and my mom was saying the truth. Haiti has to take care of her body and she has to make pee-pee. And, you know, it made such an impression on me exactly in terms of what you were saying, that that as we dive deep, we really need to take care of ourselves and make sure that we do it in complete coherence. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is... This is one of those things that it's it's interesting that you, that you talk about these bathroom breaks because I have sort of, this is a funny little side note, but I have found that many of my favorite teachers in this world um, all also teach taking bathroom breaks, taking taking that kind of care of ourselves. And it has become this little nugget that um, informs me about finding the right teacher, the ones who remind me to take care of myself on the most basic of levels. <laughs> That's such a lovely, lovely thing you're just saying because it really represents are uh, you integrated? Yeah, and and you know even the you story know? you shared about your mother, you know, it's it's that mother energy. It's that it's that yep. nurturing. Yep, it's that nurturing, which at that time because I was young, and because I was a bit taken by receiving so many accolades, I stopped being connected to myself. Yeah. And my mom was there and she said, Haiti, no matter who these people are, professors and scientists and important kamakamaks, Haiti has to make pee pee. <laughs> it's so sweet, right? So sweet. It's, it's just, it's so, yeah. it's so big and it's yeah. so like, you know, it, we could pass over it so easily. But for me, it's one <laughs> of those moments where I think this is also, right. you know, what parents do for their children before you get on the car trip. It's, it's the way that couples can also acknowledge each other. And it's not right. always about a bathroom break, but it is about those little things that, you know, do you need it, an extra exactly. glass of water? Can I get you some, you know, whatever the thing is. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, now we're going to go into a very important and in a way the biggest rectangle. And, you know, I'm drawing all this for the couple of the rectangles. This one is called implicit memory. You probably know about implicit memory. There is explicit memory, the things we remember, who was there, when it was, what we felt, what happened before, what happened after, etc. And then there are the things we do not remember, and yet they live inside of us, and they are triggers. Right. So, for example, my mother was pregnant with me when she was escaping a camp, and 
walked the out terrified. So implicit memory for me is terror, but I don't remember, you know, the terrifying events. I don't, it's, it's implicit memory, but it triggers me, you know. We did an episode on this show, on this podcast, with Mark Woleen on inherited family trauma, which is also a nice reflection point because it brings oh, up a right. lot of that implicit memory, a lot of the stuff that exactly. uh, gets passed down in epigenetics. And yeah. 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 You know, one day, just before Donald Trump was um, inaugurated, you, me and I walked on our street, our street having a beautiful, beautiful walk. It was a lovely day. And suddenly I looked at Yumi and he was wearing his yarmulke, his uh, skull cap. And Rebecca, I got terrified. Yeah. <gasps> People are going to know you're Jewish. <gasps> and I was in total terror till I calmed myself down and Yumi calmed me down. But there was also there a bit of a premonition about the climate that was being formed in which people wouldn't be as safe, you know, not as Jews and not as African-Americans and not as women and not as, you know, when division begins to occur, people aren't safe anymore. And I felt it, that the terror that visited me on that day, that's implicit memory. Yeah, I had the same terror. Right, <laughs> right, you know? Yeah, I think it's now, a collective experience in some cases, like you're just... Right, yeah. right. And it's woven in our fiber. And if we don't go into implicit memory on this unraveling of the survival knot, we won't, we won't dissolve the fuel to the neighborhood. You see, what fuels the neighborhood is not something we really know. It's something we don't know, but it fuels that neighborhood. Like that lady's hatred, you know, was fueled by something she did not know. And so... Implicit memory, because it's the thing we don't know that we know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I explained to the couple when I showed that part of the map, I say to them, you know, we're going to go inside of the implicit memory and there are lovely ways to go into the implicit memory. And I'm going to tell you about it. But what I'm telling them is that visit to the implicit memory is going to take quite a while because we want to dissolve what's there. So I explained to the couple that there are lovely ways in which we now can enter uh, into implicit memory. And the way we can enter is the following. You know, we have like a a family album inside of our brain. There is a part of the brain, part of the amygdala that has all the pictures, also the emotions and the pictures of everything that occurred. And the way we are connected to it is that we have explicit memory of all these pictures and we've woven a narrative. So that's my childhood. Mm-hmm. But we want to go somewhere else. And how do we go somewhere else, right? So if we go in a part of the brain that processes numbers and locations, 
So today is October 1, Tuesday, no, it's October 3rd, well, the second, Wednesday, and it's 2019, and I'm in Washington, D.C., on R Street and 16th Street, and now I start traveling around a little bit in time and space. If I do that, then I enter the, a part of my brain that is totally focused on numbers and locations. Like if I count up 1, 7, 14, 21, 28, you know, all, all the way up and then coming down again. I am in that part of the brain. Nothing else exists for me. And if I then say, because when I was a kid and I take the first image that randomly shows up there, because now it's random, right? It's not associated. I will get a piece of what lives in me. Mm. Am I making sense? You are. And if I take five of those, I go back to the numbers and the location and I take another one. I go back to the numbers and locations, take another one, and I take five, five random childhood pictures. I'll get a narrative of my childhood I never got before. The randomness is a part of this. The randomness is the whole part of it because it lives in me, but I never go there because I have a narrative. So, for example, there are people who've gone through childhood sexual uh, abuse, incest, let's say. But you know, in the five pictures, it does not come up. And what comes up are the people who've been good to you, the strengths you've had in sports and study, the joys you've had with singing and dancing. What comes up in your implicit is your resilience and resources, which is amazing. Sometimes one picture comes of incest and the rest resources. And so what most often comes up in implicit is what helped me come to this day, not what has traumatized me. It's, oh. It's, it's now what has traumatized me exists also, but there is a balance that I've never been able to see because the implicit couldn't show itself because the trauma calls my attention. I get hijacked into what is tough and I don't get to see who I am anymore. So this is becoming an opportunity to, to, to re-narrate, to, to create a new storyline. Totally. And so what I do when the five pictures are out I have the visitor tell a story. Once upon a time, there was a little girl. Once upon a time, there was a little boy. And they tell it in the third person, weaving together the five pictures. And what comes out is archetypical. Because, you know, when they tell the story, everything is in the story, but the implicit is also in the story. You know? And so mixing the two in the story is a completely new narrative. And usually the person hearing the story just sobs and sobs because their strengths and resources, their beauty, their radiance, who they are as a person now is in the story, not just 
the awfulness of what occurred. It's infused with with so much, so many more layers, and yeah, it's those layers that are going to help them to get unstuck. Exactly correct. You see, because now they know a wholeness rather than a part of the story, a wholeness of the story, and those are archetypical stories. You know, all the little boys who somehow couldn't express their identity because the surroundings wouldn't let them if you put on a dress and a wig and whatever they needed to do and suddenly their strength and resources as well as their struggle just comes out there and they're a whole person. Yeah. And so this starts to help the couple make, make more sense also of their core issues. Exactly right. Not their core issues, but rather their core truth. Their core truth. Yes. Because I don't believe we have issues, but we have core truth. Right. It's a different different focal point. It's exactly correct. And now we have one story, and it's been told by the partner with so much compassion with such a deep new understanding of who their partner really is in their fullness not just in their struggle in their fullness Mm -hmm. and then we do the nicest part see now comes the beauty because we live in the 21st century there are now time machines you can get on ebay did you know we ta- yeah, we talked about them in our last episode. Right. Okay. <laughs> so that's when the person is going to take the time machine and they're going to go back to one of those pictures, you know, the an important one, but they're going to weave it together anyway. They're going to go back to talk to the mother, the father, the grandmother, the horrible teacher, whoever, you know. They, they now, with that time machine, are going to take their time to travel back and forth and say all the things that were never said. As a champion, as a complete champion of this young person. Mm. And that visit, the time travel, is so profound because the old brain, you know, is atemporal, and it doesn't know that it's 2019. It's the time it is. You know, I'm 10 years old, and you finally came into my home, and you've spoken to my mom, and you've said such important things, and you've spoken to my father and my grandfather and that horrible uncle and, 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 and the stern teacher and my friend, and you thank my friend for everything she did. And, you know, like time travel. And then... At the end, when the partner feels like they've said, the visitor, they've said everything they can think of. They said, have I said everything to everyone you'd like for me to talk to? And that's when the person has a chance to send messages that they've thought about, that their partner couldn't think about, but they thought about. And they send them on journeys, you know, sometimes even to the future. Can you tell my future me? you know, it'll be okay. Or, yeah, 
the creativity is abounding here, you know? And it's really a chance to to truly stand up for your partner to, yes. Yeah. To, to be with them in a way that maybe nobody ever has been with them before. Exactly. Yeah. And because the brain is atemporal, it takes those pictures and now inside of the family album, the future partner has stepped in as a champion and said all those things and those pictures are in you. That's why the, there is memory reconsolidation. There's new wiring occurring right then and there because it's that time in which there is an openness of the brain. There's a window of opportunity for the brain to actually change. And it changes. Because you've, you don't created, a new, you've created a new memory point. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. That's why we stay there a long time. This part also takes about an hour and a quarter, an hour and a half, you know, in which the time travel really gets completed. And because the brain is now different, because there's a new memory, the fuel to that old neighborhood is dissolved. Actually dissolved. And that's because we understand the brain now in such a new way. We get it. You know, the brain has plasticity and in the right juxtaposition of the old and the new, it will choose the new and create new neural pathways, new wiring. Beautiful. Right? Yeah. And that's nature. You know, that's not because we are, and I'm going to put it in quotes because we're therapists, it's because nature is this way. We're wired this way to reconsolidate from one consolidation to another kind of consolidation with new memories. And I think this is so important because we are also, we tend as humans to be sort of wired to look for the negative in things. And here we've just created a situation where it's not full of those negatives right now. We've, we've just altered right. that course. We have altered the course completely. It's based on our strengths, our resources, our resilience, the people, our, our allies. We have, we have a new ally, our partner, who showed up suddenly to be the best ally we could ever imagine. And all that's now uh, consolidated in our brain. We have those pictures. And that's why we stay there. You know, like we stay in the main square so that there can be reconsolidation, then we stay also with the time travel so that there can be reconsolidation. Yeah. And so now we're taking the things that have been really implicit in our lives and we're really making them into something that's incredibly explicit that we, our partners know as much as we do at this point because we have spoken the truth not only to our partner but to ourselves and exactly they have taken a role in this and so that has it it becomes this new central connection point between the couple exactly yeah yep now there is a little try a little um 
rectangle that I forgot to tell you about. And I'm going to tell it to you now because the final rectangle is the who says the way I feel in my body right now, visceral experience. And the reason that's important is because our story is in our body. And the little rectangle I forgot to talk about is that before the host enters the tough neighborhood, you know, they see how I feel in my body because I do a little guided visualization in which I have them do a body scan of every part of the body when they enter the neighborhood before they speak about it. And so they have a sense of how their body feels Mm -hmm. when they are in that neighborhood before, of course, the visit. Right. And so at the end, we do again a body scan because people report the, the deepest relaxation ever. My belly is relaxed. My lungs are relaxed. My shoulders are relaxed. My legs are relaxed. I feel there's a flow in my body. People describe visceral experiences of the natural state of human beings when we are not full full of cortisol from tension. And so it's so important for them to see that what they claimed through this visit is the natural way of being, Mm. which is really grounded, relaxed, Flowing. And it it also it has it's it's fully present. And fully present. Yeah. Yeah. And this is really the first time in that couple's experience that they are really, really together. Because everything's been said. Everything that needs to be said has been said, and they're both just there. You know, it strikes together. Me- Haiti, that everything has been said. They're both just there together. And and the way in which things have been said, they're not getting flooded. Right. There there's a right. you know, and, and so that that creates an opportunity to really digest this and take it in because when we're flooded, everything shuts down. Yeah. yeah. So it's there's not happening from that place balance. of pointing. Yeah. A continuous balance of attention. I love that expression, balance of attention. It's where you hold everything, but in balance. And the the whole process has got balance of attention. And then again, they take their books and they're writing, you know, what they've learned and relearned, what has been a big surprise and what they're intrigued by now. And again, the learnings are profound. And as you can imagine now, three hours have passed and we do a lunch break. And then when we come back, there's going to be another three hours on the other side. With the switching roles because the visitor becomes the host. Yeah, Exactly. And now there will be a liberation on the other side. And the two main squares become what they can live. Mm. You know? So whatever the next main square will be, We've written it down, and now they can live. She can live as a radiant being woven in the womb of God. He can live as a free, uh, I don't know what it might be. I am free 
and I am grounded. I don't know what his main square would be, but whatever it is, that's what they're going to live and assist each other in living. Because now they have this point to come back to. So can you, can you talk to us a little bit about the couples that you've worked with, how they report back to you after having had this, this intense experience? Right, right, <laughs> right, right. So one of the things I am not doing with couples, I don't do the follow-up. Um, they will write to me, but I don't continue. You know, I do the two-day and I release them to their life. But what I get in writing from them is we are on a new terrain. We're living in a new place. We are feeling a sense of connection we never knew even exists. We can revisit the places that we visited and feel even more richer. You know, I mean, I get beautiful reports, but I don't continue. Uh, I don't stay in touch. You know, like I'm not their therapist. I am their guide for one profound an important adventure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. How did you get to the point where you decided that that's the way you wanted to work? What brought you there? <laughs> I love that question. You know, uh, my work is an integration of my whole entire life in terms of a wife, but also in terms of a student and, you know, studying so many different constructs and when they all got integrated and crystallized is when I understood that what I'm teaching are the three invisible connectors. I mean, it became clear. It's, uh, I don't know if you know the philosopher Isaiah Berlin, but he tells a Greek parable of the fox and the hedgehog. And the fox has lots of strategies and wants to catch the hedgehog. But at any time, no matter how clever the strategy, when he gets the hedgehog, the hedgehog turns into a bull with spikes and the fox has to go back to look for a different strategy. And he said that the world is divided in foxes and hedgehogs, Isaiah Berlin did, that the foxes are the people with lots of theories and strategies and they specialize, you know, in that. And the hedgehogs only had one idea, you know, uh, Jung, the collective unconscious, yep. uh, Darwin, evolution, uh, Einstein, relativity. And they have one idea that encompasses everything. And for me, it was when I landed in my hedgehog concept, which was the three invisible connectors, when that became clear to me that that is all I teach. That's when I understood that I want to teach it to couples at such depth that they can live the three invisible connectors in their life. And that's when Yumi and I began to live them in our life. And that's when we were able to go into our toughest neighborhood. And the map I just brought to you could form from our own relationship. Oh, that is so beautiful. The Just the, the way it weaves both within you and in your work. Yes. Right. Mm. Right. Yes. And I love talking to you because you listen very well. And I want you to tell your husband that you listen people into speaking. 
Mm. Yeah. That I listen people into speaking. Yep. Mm. You are such a good listener that the speaking emerges, you know, in your in the person you interview. Mm. Well, I I also find that the I'm interviewing people right now like yourself who are bringing such a breath of wisdom into this into this that I I don't really want to clutter much with my own thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> but you know like for example when you stopped at the bathroom breaks, you know? Yeah. Uh, you you listened me into telling that story about me and my mom because uh, it was such a turning point for me. Yeah. You know, it was not a story I thought would come into <laughs> our conversation today, but it was inevitable because my mother told me this, you know, she taught me this very important lesson, take care of yourself, my child. Mm-hmm. I will always be here and yeah. you're going to be taking over taking care of your basic needs. Which is so, such a huge lesson, right? I, I can't even is. begin to talk about how many my times I have to repeat that to myself, but also that my own clients are learning those lessons about right. taking care of themselves. Mm. Yeah. Right. Of mm. your very basic needs, which your body will let you know about. Yeah. And uh, so you do. You listen people into speaking, and that is really what the visitor does. You know, the art of visiting is being so on the other side in the world of the host. And in this case, I'm your host, that the host lives the richness of their world. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't, it doesn't get interrupted. It doesn't. And, and I think this is, is this hard for some people? Do they have... Oh, do some come into this and struggle a little bit there that they they bring themselves, they bring their own worlds into the host's world? Well, you know, it's a very automatic thing yeah. that especially if it's a partnership that you will suddenly be drawn with that little rubber band into your own world, into your neighborhood. And so it's a very nice moment for me to be able to teach and I can say, oh, something wonderful just happened. The rubber band pulled you back into your world, into a neighborhood we're not going to talk about, but it shows on your face, in the tone of your voice. And the person usually says, yeah, you know, I was pulled back. And I call that illegal import. You know, that's an illegal import. And I'm the customs lady, and I, I check for contraband, you know? And so As the guide, I, I guess say, that's your role, right? Yes, it is my role. Mm-hmm. And then the visitor will say to the partner, the customs lady just stopped me at the border and she noticed the contraband. And I'm going to return it into my world. I'm going to snip that rubber band so I don't get pulled to that neighborhood. And I'm coming back to be with you. Mm-hmm. So those are very important learning moments when that occurs. You do this in such a playful way. Has this playfulness yeah. always been a part of you? Has this always been part of your vitality? Or have you learned that through doing this work? Ah. Ah. I think that playfulness is a part of me. And I think it's a part of all of us. I think playfulness is part of our essence. Mm-hmm. And I've come to know 
that it's very important to bring playfulness to guidance because it allows for balance of attention. Meaning, if I was stern about it, the person would be flooded. But if I am the customs lady and it's contraband and the person gets it and they they can even say I was stopped at the border, then we stay in good balance. And so as a guide, I want to make sure there's balance of attention at all times, you know? Yeah. It strikes me that, you know, um, when we look at mammalian species at play, they're constantly, they're, they're in a state of learning, they're in a state of openness. Um, they're learning things like boundaries, right? And how to relate yeah. to, to siblings and, and other things along those lines. But when, when other, even other mammalian species are shut down, play is usually the first thing to go. Right, right. And I'm, I'm seeing that play as that vitality and it's, it's that space yeah. where there's room for, for these shifts that you're, you're really asking for. Exactly right. It keeps the atmosphere with a lightness of being. Yes. And so, you know, I, to wrap this this conversation up, I think that this is like such a beautiful place for us to land because mm-hmm. this is what I'm imagining couples are leaving this work with, is mm-hmm. this lightness of being, this... Um, mm-hmm more vitality in their relationship and in their lives. Right. It liberates our aliveness, mm-hmm. our natural aliveness. And if we dissect that a little bit more, it's it's the speaking of truth and the being witnessed. Yes. That has a lot to do with that and liberation. The, and the going to the part of us that could never be spoken and speaking it, you know, speaking from the core of our truth, the truth that lives in what I don't know that I don't know. Being willing to be so incredibly vulnerable and a bit rebellious because you're going against everything you've always thought you knew or were taught or were told. Yep. Really in the place of what I don't know that I don't know, Mm. you know, because from I don't know, you go into what you don't know that you don't know. And, you know, it's, it's a powerful place to open up. It's incredibly powerful and so liberating. Yes. Haiti, thank you so much for sharing oh, your work with us. I'm so Rebecca, forever grateful. My pleasure. I love talking to you. Haiti, I have one more question for you. I know you have a workshop coming up in, um, in Durham, North Carolina. Right, it's a training. The, the Durham one is a training. I have a workshop coming up for couples. I do a small six-couple workshop in which in two days they learn the basics of the three invisible connectors. It's very powerful. And I do that one in D.C. in November, okay. it's 16, 17. And then in Durham in January, I have the date on my calendar. We'll, we'll make sure we have a link in our show notes. Yeah. 11, 12, I think. And uh, three days, three days in Durham. And that's a training in exactly what our po- podcast was all about. Wonderful. And that is a training for therapists, for therapists for cu- and their partners, for, for couples. Yeah. Okay. And partners can come. You know, it's for therapists. 
that partners can come because it's so nice when partners share this learning with their partner. So, so the beautiful. Durham one is open to, you know, a therapist and their partners. Wonderful. So we will include links to all of these workshops in our show notes as well Great. as Hades' website, which is hadeschleifer.com. And um, thank you again for joining us. I hope to be in touch again soon. My joy. My joy. Bye, my friend. Bye-bye. Listeners often ask how they can support the ongoing production of the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. And truly, the best way that you can is to simply subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcasting platform and hop on over to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. Learn more about my counseling practice and my collective for therapists in private practice at connectfulness.com. This episode was brought to you by Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes is a simple, secure EHR platform that keeps you organized and creates a container for all the details that run your private practice so that you can tend to what really matters. Use the promo code CONNECTFULNESS and get two months free when you sign up at therapynotes.com. I want to express deep gratitude for Sarah and Chris Ferris, the musicians behind the delicious soundtrack for the Connectfulness podcast, which was recorded and mixed at Kidney Stone Studio. The Connectfulness Practice Podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, and copyrighted by Connectfulness Counseling. Our next live workshop, Integrating Mind and Heart, will be held online from September 22nd to 24th, 2023. If you want to get closer and trust each other and yourself to get through the hard moments, this is the workshop for you. Sign up at whydoesmypartner.com slash events.